But King's wow, Disease is not a top five Nas album for me. What about you, though? I think hip hop will always be a void for the people. Hey, what's happening, man? Hey, how are you? Good, man. Back in the New York groove, you know? Yeah, yeah. New uh, new scenery, new surroundings. New scenery, new surroundings. Got the, the Run DMC t-shirt on. Okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's wild, man. I, I put this shirt on just feeling like New York, you know, um, wanting to rep. was riding down the West Side Highway listening to uh, Hot 97, All About the Benjamins came on. Okay. On your hot 97, that's my word, you know. Yep. Like, uh, uh, you know, just like G-Funk sounds better in Cali, uh, you know, Bad Boy, East Coast, Biggie. Sounds great on the East, man. Sounds great. De- definitely, man. I know you don't do shorts, so I got to ask, you got the Tims on? You know what? I started I started wearing shorts, man. I guess it's the California, like, Okay, California all right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> man, I wish uh, you could retract all the hell you gave me for wearing shorts. <laughs> Uh, you know, I have my. I was even gonna wear my Adidas, but I don't want to take it too far. Got you. Yeah. You know? Well. Um, but there's a story we wanted to start off with, and dude, I, I was not even thinking about this when I wore the shirt, but it's kind of crazy. Um, you know, earlier this week, two men were arrested for the murder of Jam Master Jay. This is almost 18 years later. He died. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I believe it's um, October of 2002. Yes. The two men were Ronald Washington and Carl Jordan. There was a, a Netflix uh, show or documentary uh, that came out a few years ago. Actually, it was picked up by Netflix, but it was produced by Ramon Dukes um, in part, uh, and who used to work at Revolt and MTV. Um, and that kind of laid out the story. But, you know, um, what, do you, what do you think about this? Is like, can you recall uh, a crime in hip hop being solved this far out? before no no certainly not 18 years and yeah i mean we saw a lack of justice um you know in the case of tupac and biggie even though books have been published on both investigations that happened by the lapd especially surrounding biggie no i mean this came out of the blue and um it almost it almost when i when i saw the story that the new york times had circulated i was almost in disbelief like this has to be an old link or something um no. And I mean, I think the real thing that it offers is a step towards closure, um, you know, for Jason Mizell's family, um, you know, and it's, it's very sad, you know, um, I never, my career was just getting started in October of 2002. I remember that being uh, the biggest thing that year as I was kind of buckling up. Um, but everything I've ever heard about Jay is just, um, you know, outside of music and, and the incident, you know, what a phenomenal individual he was. Yeah, I mean, I remember exactly where I was when it happened. I was on a business trip in Jamaica, and I was just stunned, you know, to hear the news because Jay, you know, he just always seemed like such a, like, you know, um, just a happy, you know, uh, you know, positive dude. And, you know, the stories that were circulating, and, you know, that now they're saying that it was allegedly a drug deal um, that uh, these two men were involved in with him and that, you know, he supposedly cut them out of the, the drug deal. You know, when that stuff was swirling back in, in the day and there was stuff around 50 Cent and, you know, all sorts of stuff, it just didn't add up with kind of the, the image that was um, consistent with Jay, you know, publicly. So it was a real shock. It was very jarring. 
Yeah. And I don't, I mean, you know, that may reveal itself in time. I, I think the takeaway is I watched that documentary that, you know, Raman worked on um, and enjoyed it. I mean, you know, it's hard to say enjoy when it's that subject matter, but it was illuminating to me because in 2002, you know, there wasn't video, you know, so to see the studio, to see the old video footage, to see the layout of the studio. But one thing I'll say is I don't know Jay's business, but, you know, it's one more reminder that, you know, as we'll talk about ownership and empowerment and other things in this conversation, hip hop legends deserve to be in a place where, um, you know, they can live life on their terms and, and live above all else. And it's, it's so sad that Jay's not here. His son carries on his tradition behind the turntables. TJ is a phenomenal DJ, um, keeps the Mazelle family name, you know, going strong in this hip hop thing. And, uh, you know, we, you and I even were talking about Run DMC last week in terms of DJ Cassidy's, you know, past the mic. So Run DMC, you know, burns forever. But um, I just hope his family gets some sense of closure. Hip hop doesn't need um, any more uh, unsolved murder mysteries. Yeah, I mean, so that's a deeper story, right? You, you touched on it. Like, Run DMC were arguably the biggest uh, hip-hop group of the 80s. You know, it was probably them or LL. They brought back Aerosmith, you know, launched, relaunched them and made them mega uh, pop superstars with Walk This Way, uh, their remake of that. And so for Jay to even need to be involved in something like that, if he was, you know, or... And, is insane, you know, like um, for any kind of artist that had that kind of impact, they should have been incredibly, incredibly uh, financially stable, you know, so, uh, you know, it really kind of is condemning of the industry and, and the practices we've discussed in the past, but, you know, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing I saw in the documentary is Jay never wanted to, um, you know, give up his hip-hop roots, and, you know, even as Run DMC kind of went in further gaps between albums. Jay, more than Daryl, more than Rev Run, you know, in, in my estimation, continued. You know, he put on 50 Cent, even though 50 later found success with Trackmasters and then with M and Dre. He put on J.O. Felony, which people tend to forget. Onyx, which is huge, um, you know, and was very responsible for kind of bringing that hardcore movement in the early 90s. And then also, you know, I recently had a conversation with Shaw Money XL, who credited his entire career, his genesis, to interning with Jay. And Jay basically putting him in a no-holds-barred position of like, yo, control your own destiny, and I'm going to open the doors, and I'll be the Rolodex. But again, you know, it's funny, like, and, and Jay being the linchpin of 50 Cent to Shaw Money, which, you know, all that those guys accomplished together. Yeah, I mean, and it's sad. Like, you know, no matter what, whether Jay was, you know, in the streets and in terms of why he died or not a guy like that of that stature should be able to have a studio with security and protection and have people around him where he's just not in those situations we had that conversation a lot over 2019 with nipsey in the marathon and obviously you know guys guys decide to be men or women of the people but um yeah it's just a really really sad story you know yeah you know so do you think that this um makes it likely or possible that more cases will start to get solved. I mean, this is 18 years old and supposedly there are witnesses cooperating. I'm not sure what changed to cause them to do so, but do you think that something like this would cause others to step forward with unsolved cases like with Tupac or Biggie? 
Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Um, and I encourage anyone that's interested in those cases. I actually just sent a copy to uh, my Uncle Dan, who sometimes watches this podcast, but Murder Rap by Greg Kading. Like, read that book or even read Labyrinth, which is based on Russell Poole's investigation for the LAPD on Biggie, and you will be stunned why there have been no arrests. Um, you know, whether those findings are true or false, they lay out there right there. I mean, you get access to the files and it amazes me and it really makes it, you scratch your head why, um, you know, so many things are happening. And from what I understand, I haven't paid close attention, but, um, you know, there's already been um, deliberations in terms of, of what's gone on with Nipsey and, and his, his killer, which by all estimations, there seems there's no doubt about it, but that gentleman, um, you know, has already kind of introduce the defense and you know you just you hate to see a lack of justice especially when these are our heroes to use Nas's term you know? yeah no absolutely absolutely so speaking of Nas uh released his album King's Disease all all produced by Hit Boy on Friday uh very short I think it was around 38 minutes or something like that Illmatic length yeah Illmatic length right yeah. like uh which I appreciate you know we talked about that last week like you know, just much more digestible. I've listened to it two or three times now because of that. You know, it's, it's kind of daunting listening to an hour plus long project because if you want to get all the way through it, it's hard to carve that out. So you end up not listening at all. You know, but I've listened to this one quite a few times. Um, beat wise, I think it is great. Um, you know, I really think that he and Hit Boy gel very well. Um, you know, I'd say there's probably four or five songs on it that I really like and, you know, nothing that I don't just absolutely don't like, but I thought it was a pretty solid album. What was your take? Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. I, I think that, you know, Nas, Nas year um, was not the album. I've never heard anyone really kind of go to the mat in defense of that album in 2018. And you and I spoke about it in the last episode, but you know, Lost Tapes 2 isn't treated as, as an album. And I, and I think you and I, I hope I'm not misspeaking for you, you and I were not crazy about that. And it is what it is. It's a collection of songs and some access to the cutting room floor. This gets Nas back on track for, I think, you know, where, where he's been, um, you know, since, uh, you know, um, you know, Have a Good Life, uh, you know, the 2011 album. Life is good. Life is good. I yeah. always do that. Yeah, I always yeah. do that. <laughs> um, but I agree with you. And, and really, I think that Hit Boy... I was one of those people that was very skeptical of him handling production. Of course, you know, the purist in me, you know, where's the premiere album? Where's the large professor? Why hit boy? But hit boy really showed his strengths and his versatility in this. Um, which if you look at his catalog, it's already written out, but what he gave Nas was really good. And I agree with you. I think there are three or four moments I really like. Um, there were some that, that I did not care for. I did not, you know, I did not love, um, some of the more modern bridges, you know, the stuff with Don Tolliver, even Big Sean, I'm not crazy about that. But then on the flip, you know, um, his work with Anderson Pack, which is a no brainer, is, is one of the higher points in the album for me. And I believe uh, you added it to our playlist. Yeah, no, I thought that one was great. Uh, I actually really liked the song with The Firm. Yeah. Uh, you know, got a nice groove to it. We even got eight bars from Dr. Dre, which was cool. Uncredited, you know, yeah. Uncredited, but, but you know, um, yeah, I just love hearing Dre's voice, but that was a really, it was truly lived up to the title full circle. It was a great moment for, for all involved. Um, let me ask you this. You had a lukewarm reaction to Ultra Black when it released as a single last week. 
hearing it in the context of the album, does it change your perception of it at all? Yeah, it's definitely, um, I like it more. It's still not in those three or four songs that I love on the album, but um, it, it fits the groove. I completely stand by what I said previously that like for Nas, who I think is an absolutely um, upper echelon artist when it comes to first singles in particular, I think it was a miss. Um, that being said, I don't know that there's a single on this album. Like, I don't know that there's that moment that really, that really jumps. It's more, it's more designed for that, like you said, 40, 50 minutes, you know, of, of dedicated time. But um, to answer your question, I do. And I love when that happens. I love when a song takes on a different context um, with the others around it. Yeah, you know, I wasn't crazy about the Big Sean song either. Um, but I will say, I understand why they had to release a solo Nas joint uh, as the single. But I mm-hmm. would say I would follow it up with the the, the Firm joint, Full Circle. I yeah, I mean... it's going to be a big record for, for him. Full Circle's great. I, AZ, I mean, you and I have spoken about it in this venue. AZ is phenomenal. I honestly think that he might have the best verse on the song. Um, and and one of... Again? Yeah, I do. I mean, A just sounds so crisp. And there's something, you know, you speak about frequencies of, of vocal tones. Going from Nas to A throughout the years, you know, the essence, you know, life's a bitch. Like, they just sound so damn good together. Um, and that was really cool. And I love, for a litany of reasons, um, you know, Cormega being on it. Cormega did exactly what he's been doing, you know, his whole career on his own. Just that 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 really wisdom and in, informed delivery and then like when he slows down for emphasis and raises his voice i love that and for anyone that follows the history of the firm like that is that is a huge um step i mean Corey's worked with az over the years he's worked with nature who is not on this song um but to have him and nas go full circle to really the 96 lineup of the firm is um it's really cool. It's really meaningful. And I think that it, it, it bookends history. I don't know if we'll ever see more of this. That's not, that's not even what I care about right now, but I love when, you know, folks make right and and do that thing. Um, On the flip, you know, of course, Foxy Brown has to be there. She is an integral part of the firm. Honestly, I, um, I was really disappointed with, uh, her verse and I know she's gone through things on the personal side with her hearing and you know just a number of things but this could have been a huge opportunity for Fox to remind everybody what she's capable of and just me myself that's not what I got in this moment yeah top five album for Nas no no I don't think so but I think I think that it's um it's a really enjoyable album one thing that I'll say you know we talk a lot about storytellers and Nas, over the years, you know, from Rewind to, you know, you can go on and on, even unauthorized biography of Rakim, Rock, Nas, can, Nas can spin a tale. But I don't think he gets enough credit for imagery. You know, like, Nas is so phenomenal. He's like Martin Scorsese. Like, he makes you, he takes you to the place by giving you three or four images. And, you know, my favorite song on the album is, um, you know, Car Number 83 or excuse me, car number 85, um, which when I saw the track list, I'm like, yo, is Nas, is this like a braggadocious track? Like, is this Nas talking about like buying his 85th car? But in reality, it's, it's him going back to um, mid-adolescence and using the car service to explore New York and feel like somebody. I love he's got a line in there about like, 
getting high and just figuring out who I want to be. And it's one of those like second childhood type Nas songs that is, whoo, and that's the one with Charlie Wilson on it. And um, yeah, to me, that is, uh, that might be one of my five favorite songs this year. But King's wow, Disease is, is not a top five Nas album for me. What about you, though? Well, you, you said second childhood. First of all, like salute to DJ Premier. I think yeah. that is one of his most underappreciated beats of all time. That joint just goes so hard. Yeah. And it's uh, it's very different than um, a lot of primo joints because it, it, it's so heavy on the bass line, you know, the mm-hmm. way he chops it up. Like, but uh, super, super dope. But uh, when I put it in his top five, you know, I was, I was just going through I think there's an argument to be made. I mean, like we talked about last week, so Illmatic clearly number one. I think both of us would put God's Son um, in that like number two slot around there. Some people would put Stillmatic around three or so. Um, I might argue Life is Good is, is around there just because of the, the, the content, the subject matter. Um, after that, you start getting into I Am, which has got some standout tracks. Um, it was written has to go in there i know you're not say it was written like i know we're gonna we're gonna differ on that forever and i can i should go back and listen to it because like i said i just listened to it with expectations and you know coming off filmatic there was no way that uh it's very difficult like i can only think of one one or two artists who followed up their um debut album with like an even better album and that that probably kendrick uh, you know, uh, Mopti for sure. Yeah. Um, but I mean like a debut album that most believe right, was word. like a, you know, like a, a classic, you know? So, yeah. um, yeah, I think there's an argument. I think there's an argument like, uh, you know, I wouldn't go to, I wouldn't like, you know, go to the map for it. I wouldn't be fighting the streets for it, but I, I, I could <laughs> definitely, I could definitely say that, um, I think there's five or so, really good tracks on it and that stands with a lot of Nas albums you know what Mm -hmm. I mean if you break it down like that yeah I mean you know Nas and first of all like you know and and we'll certainly see the comments there's a lot of people I've seen that have really gotten behind this album in a way that I haven't and and the folks that are in my inner circle of just like who I talk hip-hop with on a weekly basis and folks that I've worked with over the years they all seem to kind of be on where you and I are, but I've heard some people really gush over this album and say that it, it shows um, growth and, and him merging nicely with, with new generations, even down to what he's done with hip boy. Um, you know, case can be made. I, I mean, Nas is one of the most listenable artists. Like it's never worked to listen to what Nas has to say. And then you find your songs and you go back and you go back and you go back. But, um, yeah, and, and, and not for nothing, you know, in 2020, uh, top 10 hip-hop albums right now, and, you know, we're a week from September all day long, this is on that list. Mm, but um, okay. it's still it's still not, you know, I still, in just the ongoing conversation, Royce, Apollo Brown, and Shane Noir, you know, there's a few at the upper levels um, that I just can't, you know, that, that, aren't, that aren't moving, so to speak. Yeah, not Jay Alec and Jay-Z. All right, so would you call it a comeback album? No, because I don't really think Nas went away. I mean, Nas took a huge break between Life is Good and, and, and Nas' year and, and, and then filled us, you know, with Lucy's along the way. But I don't think Nas has ever really gone away. He's done exactly what fans, his, his pure fans don't want him to do. You know, I think of Distant Relatives, and while that was a tremendous 
project, you know, conceptually, and I think it plays really well. Um, Nas has never, never, never really deviated. Um, but I can't say comeback. Can you? I guess it depends on what you mean as a comeback. You know, I, I actually thought Nazir was um, a real disappointment. You know, I, I love the song Everything. Like that was on the playlist, heavy, heavy rotation. Um, besides that, there wasn't anything that really spoke to me on the album. Um, yeah. And there's been a lot of inconsistency since Life is Good. You know, mm. um, you know, there, there've been a lot of releases, but not a lot of like great ones. You know, it's been kind of hit or miss. And I think this is a really consistent project. So I think there's an argument that it's a it's a comeback of sorts. Yeah, I mean, I see that too. And I honestly, I look at Nazir. I think I interpret it as the frustration was just as much there. Not frustration, but disappointment was just as much laid on Kanye, if not more so especially since if I remember correctly in that series of those seven song releases, Pusha T came out very early in the game and that album Daytona was probably my favorite that year. And Kanye and Pusha T met each other, you know, at the top of Mount Everest, in my opinion, musically and lyrically was there. And I feel like a lot of people looked at the Nas situation and was like, this doesn't have the same, you know, explosiveness. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So Nas is in the news also uh, in conjunction with Nicki Minaj, who was being sued for her song "Sorry." Um, the song is an interpolation of Tracy Chapman's um, 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 "Baby." If I told you, uh, oh man, um, I'm, I'm forgetting. So, um, uh, and I got it in my head too. It's on her first album, but ph- phenomenal yeah. song. Um, Not a hit though, right? It was, uh, I think it was a single. Okay. I'm pretty sure it was a single. That whole album, though, was just like, uh, just un- unreal. Fast Car, Mountains, like, uh, you know. Um, but um, it's an interesting case because there's no question that the song is an interpolation of that. Um, you know, and, you know, Sorry is like a, a big part of the, the actual uh, refrain of the song. But it was never officially released. Instead, Nikki, um, well, instead, Funkmaster Flex played it on the radio. And there, and there, there are questions as to whether or not Nikki allowed him to do that or if he just got his hands on it. Um, you know, there's, there are things that suggest that she worked with him to release it. Uh, so the question becomes, can you be sued for um, sampling a song in a record that you did not release? You know, we, we see it, we see like um, variations of that on mixtapes, right? Like, so a lot of times if artists can't clear samples, they'll just release it for free because they're not profiting off it. And even that, um, you know, I guess is questionable. You don't have the right to release it. You're still putting it in the public domain. But this one is a question of whether or not you can be held liable for a song that you just created, you know, you know, in theory, just for your own personal use. Uh, so w- what do you think about that? It doesn't surprise me. I mean, you know, we've, um, it was in, you know, a decade ago, a little less that, you know, Lord Finesse, who we just recently had on the show, you know, him and his team sued Mac Miller, um, you know, over a mixtape. And that one was a little bit different, if I remember correctly, because that mixtape was being sold at shows and, you know, arguably had generated money digitally. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that in this day and age, as you know, property, um, artistic property becomes more and more um, in discussion, you're going to see this. And I think it's going to force artists, especially at Nikki's level and probably two or three levels beneath her to really rein in um, what they do. And it's sad though, because there's a lot of great music that was never released. And Nas is part of that. Jay is part of that. You know, Lil Wayne with those mixtapes, um, you know, that he did with DJ Drama is part of that. You can go on and on. And, you know, I mean, you know, you have a legal background. There's lawyers out there that just like sample snitches will easily get behind folks to try to take this music away. And, um, and that's, the, that's the part that worries me is like, you know, great moments in time might not be there um, at a time right now when just about everything seems to be on YouTube still. Yeah, I mean, so the song was called Baby Can I Hold You, um, the original. The argument is, is it would really kill the ability of artists to experiment in the studio, you know? Yeah. And in fact, like it would, it would place you in a position of having to go out and try to start clearing samples before you even made the song. Right. Which sounds absurd, Ridiculous. you know? Um, so I, I, it's a really creative and interesting argument. You know, I, I think it's going to turn the facts. Like I personally believe that artists should be able to experiment and do whatever they want to in, in private. I mean, we can all sing like whatever we want to, you know, um, without having to pay for it. But um, I think it's going to turn on whether or not she intentionally leaked it. Now, I think that's going to be the, the, the key, the key uh, facts here. And that'll be interesting. And, and from what I've heard on the issue, you know, Tracy Chapman, despite the fact that you've got like nice and smooth, You've got people that have sampled her over the years. Um, she's always been one of those no sample artists. You know, people said that, you know, in his lifetime, Barry White was like that. You know, everyone knows Biz Markie and Gilbert O'Sullivan, you know, and, and the, the, the changes that happen, you know, going with, uh, you know, Alone Again Naturally. Like um, Tracy Chapman, for lack of a better, just seems like, you know, the wrong one to fuck with. <laughs> and, um, it's funny too that I didn't know that about her I mean you and I have talked about Tracy recently in her music but there's even a version that the Beat Nuts had sampled her and it's gone like it's it's vinyl only and that explains it because Tracy's just one you're not going to play with you know um, so yeah I mean I'll be very curious if this is even worth Nicki Minaj's time alright so l let's, let's talk about that though you've had this in the document for quite some time um, the notion that samples actually are helpful to the artist you know they get you to go back and explore the catalog of the artist that was sampled uh, you know oftentimes they will breathe new life into uh, an artist's career you know um, so what do you think about that like, but I, I also understand though why you made your song you don't want anybody to mess with your song, right? Yeah. You made it the way you want it to be, uh, right. you know? And so I, I can see why some artists take that stance too, but what's your thought? Yeah. I mean, you know, that should be changing because, you know, 20 years ago, if you, um, you know, you made a song that was on not a popular record and a hip hop producer sampled it, you know, it was in the know for record heads, but if you're an artist, those records are already out there. They're being bought at, you know, flea markets and pawn shops. But in the Spotify era, if you, you know, if you're a one hit wonder and you have another joint, you know, somewhere in the cut, like even Spotify and Tidal and Apple Music have teams that make entire playlists 
based around samples. Um, you know, you, you and I have spoken a lot over the years about how nice restaurants play gangster rap and play, you know, um, the hip hop that you and I both love. I find that samples play a lot too in those same environments, you know, bars and, and, you know, clubs and stuff like that when the world was open. So I do think it's lucrative and it amazes me when I look at an artist page, um, you know, on Spotify to see, you know, their, their known hits. And then, you know, in the top five are these songs that would not be known or recognized if not for, you know, hip hop producers and the like. Um, so I do think it makes sense, but you know, Tracy Chapman doesn't necessarily fit into that argument. No, clearly not. Uh, yeah. Although still one of the best concerts I've ever seen in my life, man. I saw her, um, maybe eight, nine years ago in New York and, um, wasn't Terminal 5, it was, uh, yeah, it was a location like that, but it was incredible. She's a, a phenomenal artist, but yeah, not to be played it's, with it's, on the sample side, for sure. It's funny, too, on that note, I saw Bob James when I was about 17 years old, and um, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and there was a Manchester Craftsman's Guild, which was a, a jazz-inspired venue that they would have concerts on the weekends, and Bob James came through on a Sunday for his final show of three nights, and there was a snowstorm. So there's like 10, 10, 20 people there. My man and I went and Bob James took requests from the crowd and, you know, very accomplished jazz composer, um, you know, did, you know, everything, you know, from legit jazz to the theme to taxi and, you know, on over. And he took requests and me being, you know, a young hip hop head, I was like, yo, can you do, take me to the Mardi Gras or Nautilus? And he laughed and he was like, the only reason you're here is because of hip hop, huh? And, you know, Bob James has been cool because he's been about his bread and he's sued people, but he's also paid it forward and worked with folks like Rob Swift and, um, you know, some others over the years, which is cool to see. Um, and he, unfortunately, he couldn't play the record because he didn't have the right instrument. But, uh, you know, he's been one of the folks that has been very vocal on what hip hop has done for him. So, so uh, Nautilus being uh, Daytona 500, one of the, the, the biggest samples and, and take me to the Mardi Gras. Back to Run DMC. With and Rock Piper. the Bells. Yeah, Rock the Bells. Yeah, no, very, very influential. And a lot of uh, the breaks, the VH1 show, the Dan Turner show from a couple of years back was centered around, um, you know, um, Bob James, too. I don't mm. know, did, you, did you recall that? I had forgotten that until you reminded me. That's a really good point, too. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Cat Williams was in the news, uh, but for um, some positive reasons. So you, you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it was funny. Last week we had done our episode and um, I look online and I see that Cat Williams did like, you know, it's less than 10 minutes, I believe, but a monologue similar to Chappelle that addresses all that's going on in in the world right now. And, you know, you ask about is, is, is Nas a comeback? It's hard to say with Cat Williams. I couldn't say this is a comeback, but Cat Williams, I feel like over the last five to seven years has been trying to come back. I mean, very talented um, comedian, but, but he partnered with Supreme, which I did not see coming, you know, the clothing line um, streetwear and did this monologue that I just thought was so interesting. And what I really liked about it is in about the last 90 seconds, two minutes, um, you know, he spoke about, if, if I'm paraphrasing correctly, like the fear that so many white folks have around black folks. And he just spoke from his heart and was like, you have nothing to be, you know, like, like 
even in spite of everything that's happened to black folks through history at the hands of the at, at white folks, um, there's still no, um, for lack of a better, like sense of retribution or anything like that. And um, I watched it about three or four times. I just thought it was, it was a really meaningful commentary that wasn't so much funny as it was spot on, which was great to see after, um, you know, Chappelle six weeks ago. Yeah, I got to watch it. You know, Cat Williams is interesting. He actually does stay working. You know, he, he doesn't put out the mega specials like a lot of comedians do. But apparently he is out on the road quite a bit still, mm. you know, obviously, you know, when things were different. Um, and he's also like a comedian's comedian. A lot of people um, who are in comedy kind of see him and, you know, really appreciate his razor wits. So I definitely want to check that out. Yeah, he's got a new, you, so you didn't see it? I haven't seen it yet. He got a whole new look, man. I can't tell if he's spoofing George Clinton or Takashi 69 but he's got the uh, rainbow in effect. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Um, so Sway is actually, I, I hear about um, Cat Williams on the Sway in the Morning Show quite a bit, and Sway, uh, Angie Martinez, Donnie Simpson, and the Breakfast Club all inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame. Um, which is, I think, amazing. Really cool to do it in one fell swoop like that to uh, usher in DJs and VJs who have had such a, a huge impact on, um, you know, R&B and rap music um, becoming mainstream. Um, anybody you think is, who who's left out who, who should have been on that list? Yeah, I mean, you know, I will say that, like, part of me um... – you know, Sway has accomplished so, so much in the last, you know, 15, 20 years on his own. But like part of me, like looks at King Tech and was like, yo, that that King Tech absolutely matters to the wake up show. And um, there's a chance, you know, he might be involved, but I, I saw Sway's name isolated. Um, yeah, I mean, those guys are, you know, and women are just so important. I, I'd rather celebrate their inclusion than kind of work to think about exclusions what about you do you remember donnie simpson like were you were you even old enough to no yeah so donnie simpson was a vj on video soul on bt back in the 80s and if i'm not mistaken it was their first if it wasn't the very first it was one of the first um you know video shows on bt uh you know and that's where like all the biggest stars like the whitney houston's like the Michael Jackson's like everyone would go to video soul and talk mm -hmm. with Donnie Simpson. You know, he was, he was that guy. He, uh, you know, like a Ralph McDaniels of. Yeah. Yeah. A real smooth cat. Like, uh, you know, he had been on DC radio and, um, you know, still looks exactly the same. It's, it's amazing. The guy doesn't age. looks great. Um, just very, very classy, you know, um, you know, I got to meet him one time, like, very much the same in person as he was on TV, but a legend. So to see him recognized now, you know, some like 40 years later, pretty incredible. Um, Video Soul, um, you know, they didn't play very much hip hop, if if at all, which opened up the door for you on TV raps and eventually Rap City. But Donnie Simpson, man, ushered in the careers of so many people. So I'm really mm. glad to see him get that, you know. Yeah. That's dope. That's yeah. really cool. You know, I look, um, one of my favorite things about Sway in particular is just his knowledge. You know, um, I've got to meet Sway over the years a few times and, 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 you know, had conversations with him once or twice with you. 
But what I love about Sway is I feel like anybody can sit down on whatever platform he's got at the moment. And he's already got a Rolodex um, of understanding and appreciation for his guests and the music. Whether you're A-list new artist that's 19 years old or you're the OG. And the fact that he can creates as much content as he does on the daily is um, it's just astounding. Yeah. Now, I can see uh, Ed Lover and Dr. Dre, or Ed Lover, um, you know, I, I could see having been inducted into that. Um, Funkmaster Flex, you think he, he deserves a spot? Yeah, all day long, yeah. you know. And, and, and even, yeah, absolutely. Um, and Flex in particular, especially in the years where he's, he's done more interviews, but also just on the music side, I, I, I wouldn't dispute that in the least. Change and the, it, there's not a chance he's already in, right? I wouldn't imagine. I doubt that. it. Not before yeah. Angie Martinez. You know, Word. Yeah. Like, uh, Voice of New York. Yeah, exactly. So Angie, you know, um, did you ever hear Angie when she was on Hot 97? Oh, I, lo- I mean, you know, I live in Philadelphia and have for the better part of the last 18 years. So once I start to get anywhere near Trenton, New Jersey, even if it's coming in with static, like you just said at the top of the podcast, I would flip. I would flip to Hot 97. And then in years later, I would, on the music side, go between power and hot. And um, yeah, Angie's amazing, um, you know, on the music side, but also, I mean, her conversations, you think of her, her conversations over the years with Tupac, with Jay-Z, with Nas, with all of these people. And, you know, she's so soulful and so empathetic. I have the utmost respect for Angie. Yeah. Shout out to Tracy Clority too. I worked with her at BET, but she was a programming director at Hot 97 back in the heyday of the 90s and, like, assembled a lot of that. The dream team, yeah. Exactly, so big shouts to her, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, Buster Rhymes, we talked about uh, sequels a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. and whether or not they really belonged in music in general. But now, so, now Buster's releasing Extinction Level Event 2, The Wrath of God. So you have some questions about this. <laughs> I mean, you asked the great question, you know, is, is King's disease Nas's top five? And I said, no. And you said, maybe. Um, ELE, if I remember right, that is not, you know, I mean, Busta has an incredible catalog and it might be in the top five. It's certainly not in the top three. And in my opinion, and, you know, to pick a, a strange album to make a sequel to, unless it's so thematic to what's going on right now, just didn't make a lot of sense to me. And you and I have both from different sources been hearing what a lot of people have, which is that this Busta album is nuts. And uh, so it, it sounds like he's been sitting on it for at least two to three years. Um, so yeah, it just, just seemed like a little bit of a, hmm. So on that album, um, yeah, let's see. Uh, I'm looking at it now. Give me some more on the album. Um, what's it gonna be? The Janet Jackson joint was on the album, which was was phenomenal. Um, but after that, like, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's not like the bus of dude. Do the bus of bus was cool when it came out. DJ Scratch, yeah, you know, it's a Jimmy yeah. Spicer joint, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember the Ozzy Osbourne collaboration, and I was just like, you know, I mean, to me, um you know, when disaster, uh, excuse me, the coming, you know, Busta's solo debut, amazing, really sets the tone. And then, you know, exactly 10 years later, the Big Bang, the Big Bang is what I consider Busta's best album, Um, even including L.O.N.S. Like that album to me 
is is so incredible. But the one caveat I'll say is, you know, it was right around that time in 2006 that Busta had signed Raekwon, you know, brought him into his situation with Dre. They started announcing the Purple Tape 2. You know, Raekwon makes a way for Capone and Noriega to make the War Report 2. I mean, Busta is not new to this sequel thinking. I'm just a little bit surprised um, that ELE is the one he went with. Yeah, Busta's another one. Do you think that Busta has a classic album? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, he's got more hits than most. I don't... Damn. I mean, no, I think The Big Bang and I think The Coming are great albums. I don't think they're classic. But you're, yeah. you're turning this into the Jake Hates on Rappers show, man. <laughs> no, man, not at all. It's interesting, like... Um... There is a divide, and I, I don't place more weight on one versus the other. There are album artists, and yeah. I think there are very few. It's kind of like dudes who can truly go off the top. There are very few dudes who can truly go off the top. You know, there's yeah. a lot of people who can spit rhythms and do it well on, on command. Um, there are artists who make great albums, and we've talked about some of them, but there are other artists who are just consistently making hits. You know, and Busta, like he had he had a really, really good run where he ran the radio, you know? Yeah. Um, and so... Um, With skill. It might make me kind of go back on the argument that we made last week about, like, can you be a top 10 MC without a classic album? Um, because... But, oh, go ahead. With, 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 with less than one classic album, because, you know, Drake probably only has one classic album, right? Um, but I think that most people who were, um, you know... 35 and younger would put Drake in the top 10. Yeah, I like that you chose 35 and not 36. I don't see, you know, I see Nas on a lot of top 10 lists. I don't see Busta. I mean, and honestly, sometimes I think that Busta's skill is, is overlooked, you know. Um, and But here's the thing that Busta and Nas are like is, you know, their careers, you know, both of these guys come up you know, and in in right around the same time, like 90, 91, you know, Busta's mentored in the early days by Chuck D and then comes in with, you know, Native Tongues. Um, and, you know, and then right away in like the mid 90s, as the party starts to change, these guys evolved, you know, both of them kind of became gangster rappers, which is shocking to some like Fat Joe did. And then they have all these different pockets of people that appreciate them. And I feel like ever since every one of their albums, especially when they were big budget, major label albums, every one of those albums tried to please everybody. So you have your party records, your records that are for the dance club, you have your records for the heads, you have your, your you know, gangster records, you know what I mean? And, and that type of fully fledged character makes it that much harder to please everybody, which is a test to your Jays, to your Kanye's, to your, your artists that have been able to very nimbly handle that, that sense of expectation. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, I'm just trying to think of like, um, other artists who might fit that category, like, who might fit that category of just hit makers, two chains, maybe. I mean, maybe um, Eminem, right? Eminem for sure. Um, would you say Wayne? Yeah, I mean, especially like Wayne of the last 10 years. I I don't know that like the Carter 2 or the Carter 3 really chase hits, um, but they just kind of yielded them. Ross? You 
Man, Ross is tricky because Ross is somewhere – I put him in a different conversation. Like he – you know, because Ross can arguably be more cohesive than Busta and Nas after a certain point. Um, and I'm not crazy albums, Teflon Don, Master. Yeah. And, uh, and Ross on one song can seem to appease everyone. Um, but maybe his, 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 his pocket, his fan bases are less diversified. I mean, you have people out there that ride for Busta since LONS that want those joints. Then you have your flip mode fans. You have your, you know, your people that love him for what he's done with Janet. And, you know, like, it's, it's got to be hard to be Busta Rhymes. The fact that this album's titled what it is and that it's a sequel doesn't, doesn't change my expectation at all. Um, you know, Busta did put out a song this week with Vibes Cartel, um, which I don't think is going to be anywhere near his album, and I certainly hope not. Right. All right. So we talked about Jam Master J. Um, it's possible that the documentary that Netflix did kind of rekindled um, the fire under this. Um, we've seen that happen now quite a bit. You know, it was clear that uh, Surviving R. Kelly played a major role in getting him um, you know, brought up on charges. Um, now the No Limit documentary is out and Kim Kardashian is joining forces with Monica and others to free C murder. Uh, so I, I started seeing the documentary. I know you've been watching it. So do you, do you want to talk about her efforts? Yeah. I mean, this, this all happened since the documentary aired, but you know, they spent a lot of time, I believe in episode four, it might've been five, you know, talking about two no limit artists, you know, a host of no limit artists had legal problems, right. As the label was kind of fading from the spotlight, Cain and Abel, Mac, we know about mystical, and then you have C murder and um, you know, and, and there's the documentary lays out more than I ever realized, um, you know, in terms of statements, recanting and witness testimony and how juries treated differently in Louisiana, but it definitely shows injustice, both in the case of C murder and Mac and Monica, who I didn't realize this, but had a romantic history with C murder back in the day started pushing for change. I guess they started speaking again and she's like, yo, we got to do more. And Kim K using her platform said like, I'm on it, you know, and you know, you and I have spoken about, she worked even with the white house, the current white house to, um, I'm not mistaken, commute sentences and things like that. Yeah. Um, she has, she's gotten people free and she's been a, a real, um, uh, advocate for justice right. uh, over the last several years, you know, and see murder's masterpiece brother. Um, you know, and, you know, I would love to just see proper, you know, handling, whatever the case may be. And I hope, just as a fan, my favorite lyrical rapper on No Limit was Mac. And they did spend a bit of time in the documentary talking about his case, which is really heartbreaking. Like, the guns didn't match, all of this, but he still went away anyway. And he was very, very talented. I hope that as they're reexamining this, that it doesn't stop at sea murder. I hope that they look at Mac, too, which those are to totally different cases. But, you know, the same Louisiana within a one or two year period put these guys both away for very long times. Um, it would be nice to see change. And if if they're found guilty in either case or both, man, what a shame. Yeah, really crazy. Innocent, um, if they're found innocent. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. So a lot of great music came out. Uh, we talked about Nas. Um, uh, he seems to continue to be intertwined with Jay-Z. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, you know uh, Pharrell uh, released a song featuring Jay-Z this was not a Jay release but you know still right. uh, 
Jay surfaced just as Nas was, uh, you know, coming back to like um, uh, reclaim the throne. Um, and King's disease, by the way, like it was interesting. Like uh, he broke it down in some of the definition. Um, I guess gout. Like uh, so. I never knew that after the album either. Yeah, I, I never heard that either. Um, but so Jay, Jay and Pharrell release Entrepreneurs. Um, what was your take on the song? Like, uh, first of all, I, I'm gonna say that I think that you like the beat because Pharrell has had that real um, kind of tribal sound for the last few years. He did the, the joint with uh, with Diddy. Oh, that I love. Oh, yeah, yeah, that you love. I knew you were gonna like the Jadena song that I put on. Um, yeah. you know, from last year because yeah. it's very similar kind of like swing to it, uh, similar kind of groove. And this song has that too. Um, uh, so taking away the, 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 the vocals, did you like the beat? I liked it. And I saw a lot of hate online. I didn't love it. I always tell people, you know, of all of the A-list people that Jay-Z has worked with, your Swizzes, your Timberlands, your premieres, your, you know, on and on and on. I am the least favorite, like, I am least um, partial to what he's done with Pharrell and the Neptunes. That's just me. That's just taste. Um, but I, I didn't hate it. And I thought the hate that I saw on Twitter, which could be a vocal minority, was unfounded. I thought the beat was was cool. But love it is too strong of a word. Yeah, I wasn't a fan. I listened a couple times. And, and I was surprised because I do like them both a lot individually and together. You know, yeah. excuse me, Miss fronting um uh, give it to me like uh i really like that combination you know um uh, um i'm so uh, ambitious like a uh, blueprint three is one of my favorite joints like of jay's period like i'm a big fan of them together and yeah this didn't do it for me you know I, actually um jay has for us got jay on a song of his on one of his solo albums too one of the early joints in my I mind or something. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't a big a big fan of either. So I like Jay produced by Pharrell. I'm not sure that I, I love Pharrell uh, featuring Jay Z. Yeah. This um, you know, this song Entrepreneur, uh, it really I really appreciated it the most after seeing the video. Did you get a chance to No, see I haven't seen the video. I haven't seen the video. Oh wow. Um that whatever you think of it, um, it might it might change it. Um, you know, it's just it it's it's um first of all there's a host of cameos in the video from Tyler to Issa Rae to Chase Infinite um you know from Self Scientific for the hip hop heads who's done a host of things with Griselda and the ASAP Mob um, but it really just celebrates black accomplishments in a way that like you know one of the catchphrases of the last five years is controlling your own narrative however that applies to you. Um, and this video embodies that of like, yo, let's just celebrate all that black folks are doing. And it lists both at a celebrity level as well as, you know, your next door neighbor. And I really, you know, I dig that sentiment. I thought the video was very well shot. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is so curious that it comes out, you know, when it did. Like Jay couldn't wait till Tuesday. You know, it's Pharrell's song. It's just yeah. a while, you know. You know, um, no, I love the whole Black Excellence um, movement that's going on in music. I, I love, uh, I, I do like, you know, the fact that uh, we talked about it a little last week. I like the, the concept around ultra Black and, and Nazi sentiments. Um, and this too, even if the music doesn't grab me. But you talked about entrepreneurs and Griselda. I think, you know, it's important we pause for a minute. 
and talk about DJ Shea, um, who was uh, the producer of 18 Wheeler and some other like really meaningful um, Griselda. Crowns for Kings, yeah. Crowns for Kings passed away uh, from COVID, uh, which obviously afflicted Westside Gun pretty heavily uh, in the springtime as well. Uh, very sad moment. Very, very sad moment. Yeah, and I, you know, you and I have spoken about it before. Griselda's solo profile, um, almost, I mean, not almost, I, I think it's by design, where we're just getting to know the backstories of your Derringers and your, you know, the folks that run with them. Um, and DJ Shea was very instrumental to Benny, um, in particular, from what I understand, long before, you know, these recent years, um, you know, West Side Gun and Griselda are putting out uh, an artist, Armani Caesar, who just worked with DJ Premier. Shay signed her 10 years ago um, and really kind of groomed her into the game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're learning this, but from all that I've heard, I never, I never knew DJ Shay, but a really good dude who's just watching his years of grinding kind of come to fruition, um, both as a producer, but as a eye and ear for talent. And it's, um, yeah, it's tragic the timing yeah. of it all i mean you know what a huge fan of griselda i am um and even with the enormous output they put out i i still love a lot of the joints and 18 wheeler is probably my favorite griselda joint ever yeah i mean like that's one that like every single it would be it was on the playlist for over a year and every single time it came on like i mean that was my motivation song for like 12 months like whenever it came on just i just got hyped like so um yeah, real loss. Very talented. And like you said, just starting to like reap the, the, the fruits of what he had sown. So, you know, yeah. rest in peace to him. Shout out to him, his family, his family to uh, Griselda, you know, condol- deep condolences. All those, all those guys and women for sure. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I love, I love that narrative of, you know, when an artist really or a team really starts to win and you see the folks behind them um, that have been putting in even for years before then, that's, that's, that's so motivating. So yeah, rest in peace, DJ Shea. Yeah. Um, other new music that came out, Vic Mensa released uh, the V tape. Did you get a chance to check that out? Uh, half of it, not all of it. Um, what about you? I know you're a big Vic yeah, fan. You know, Vic, Vic actually sent me, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, most, if not all of this uh, a few months ago. So I got a sneak preview and, um, you know, I'm a huge big fan, man. You know that. Uh, he's he's played a lot of music early for me over the years. Most of the time, we do it in person. Um, and you know, to me, he's back on his rap ish. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, you know, this is Vic just flexing and showing people he's still got bars. Like uh, yeah. you know, uh, he's he's kind of done the rock thing and like really embraced all sides of his musical roots. Uh, but it was cool to hear him get back and spit and just remind people that he's like an LMC, you know, so, yeah. And he's hella prolific, too. I mean, we talk about Griselda and other people. Vic puts out as much music as anyone I can think of, you know, and the reason I only played half of it not wasn't because I wasn't captivated, but because I was in the car and I was like, yo, with this, just like anything else, I want to listen in one full run. So every time, I, I think I restarted it two or three times, but I really did like what I heard. Yeah. Another very talented, young, and diverse artist uh, who we've spoken with, Duckworth, put out his album, Super Good. Um, have you heard that? You, you I did. I did. Yeah. Played it twice. What about you? I haven't yet. Um, same thing. I want to sit down and listen to it and really, like, give it the headphone treatment so I can hear what he's saying. 
not just the music, but the first two singles that I've heard are really, really like you know, yeah. some some of my favorite work of his. Yeah, he definitely knows how to pick singles. I like I like Duckworth and that whole just kind of movement. You know, we talked about um, Buddy and Boogie. Like, what's so cool about L.A. right now and, and greater L.A. is that there's artists that can make, you know, hip-hop songs, but that don't necessarily fit in any one box. And Duckworth really kind of spreads his wings on super good and shows, you know, splashes of R&B, splashes of even, you know, rock and funk. And, you know, he described to you and me, what did he say? You know, like, think of the movie E.T. And he kind of alluded maybe to some mind-altering substances. And I was trying to listen and frame it that way. I'll be real curious to know what you think, but it's a really pleasant listen that, is, that sounds especially good with nice weather in the car. Okay. All right, cool. Uh, so RZA and Ghostface released a song, Fighting for Equality. Um, this one kind of fell for me like that Public Enemy song with DJ Premier, where uh, obviously I love the sentiment, but the music just didn't like resonate with me uh, yeah. you know, as, as I had hoped. Uh, you had the same thought. I did. I did. I mean, you know, I think RZA has been on a solo level, the most generous with Ghost, arguably Raekwon over the years. This one wasn't it for me. But, you know, I mean, just on a political side, I was glad to see it come on Wu's new label, you know, 36 Chambers LLC. And I hope they keep that active because, um, you know, it's nice to, uh, you know, it's nice to always get new music unadulterated from the guys. So soundtrack song. um, Yeah. Yeah. I had a similar thought about Buster Rhymes, Times Vibes, Corel, um, you know, that song, The Don and, and The Boss, you know, also didn't really grab me as, as I'd hoped. Um, so, you know. Yeah, with all this hype around Buster right now, um, I would love for him to drop that joint that gets everybody excited again, because if Buster makes a great album, it absolutely will be a comeback because he's kept us waiting, you know, for eight, nine years now. And with all the hype coming from, you know, we've heard a number of folks in different corners of hip hop praising it. I wanna I wanna hear what they're talking about, you know. Yeah. Big crit. Um I've, I've one of our favorites, like, you know, just as a human being, uh and artist, uh released the kickoff, uh or kickoff. Um I'm wondering if it's like a tie into um uh, NFL season because it you know, a lot of like um references there and like imagery to, to uh you know, football. So yeah, it had that vibe to it. You know, last year, you know, Rock Nation partnered with the NFL. We got joints like Royce's Black Savages that were playing in NFL campaigns, whether for a video game, you know, or the real deal league. This just had that feel. And, and Crit is one of those artists that can just dump music. Like he can, you know, what was it the, the day that he put out like a joint every hour? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So yeah. I don't read into that too much, but it definitely had that feel to it more than like big Crit music. Yeah, it didn't feel like uh, something he was, like, uh, putting out as part of a project or an album. You know, yeah. just kind of like a Lucy, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll say that the the single I was most excited about this week um, and that, you know, that lived up to it for me, I just added it to the playlist, actually, was uh, DMX and the Locks about it. And uh, <laughs> you're he, he, he not feeling it. You're not checking for it. Oh. No. Yeah, you, you and I have, no, I'm not. You and I have had so many, uh, <laughs> we've had some of our most fervent musical debates over the locks. And it's funny because you and I are both fans of, of certainly I think all three guys individually and then in recent years what they do together. But it is one of those cases where we like different things. 
and this one wasn't that for me. And obviously, you know, there's DMX in the song. Yeah, um, and I, I mean, I, so Scram Jones did the beat. I love the beat. Um, I, I could see it being more melodic than than you prefer. Like it's a it's a man, that's, it's yeah. a melodic beat. <laughs> you don't like melody. You don't like the R and B thing. Like I mean, so maybe that's it. You don't think I like, can even snap my fingers, do you? <laughs> <laughs> it's not that man. You like you like soul and everything. You just don't like the R and B. Like it's all right, play Like I mean. I, it's kind of like my shorts, right? Like, it's a little too soft for you, so. <laughs> Yo, and I mean, I listen, I love DMX, especially coming off of that, the battle with Snoop. I can't tell you how many Tuesdays I was in the store to buy DMX albums in the 90s into the 2000s. This sounds like DMX recorded it in, like, a payphone in Grand Central Station. Like, <laughs> the, the the mix like the whole nine man I, I i was so happy and i pressed play and i was like oh no like he didn't like clear his throat like it just it didn't have that quality level to me and um but you know what man if you liked it in in the locks i was one of those places from years of especially with afh of editing i might think a song by the locks or by styles is a three and a half like it's cool We'll put it up, you know, you will come in and be like, no, it's better, and our readers love it. So that that might just be an artist that my thermometer doesn't work on. Well, it's a shame, man, because you're going to have to listen to it over and over again for the next, like, several months on the playlist. But, like, I got, you can hit skip, but, like, give it a few more. I will. I mean, I definitely will. I played it See how you more feel time. about it in a month. If you don't like and, it in a month, I'll take it off. But, like, you know, the LOX are releasing an album uh, next week, and one thing that I didn't know when we talked about it, I think last week or the week before, they have Large Professor on there, who I mentioned earlier oh, in the show, as one it. of the producers. I don't think the locks um, ever worked with LP, um, which is interesting because, you know, not Styles, but Sheik and Kiss debuted on the second main source album, which, you know, Extra P had left the group and Mikey D came in. But there's just some interesting history there. And I love Large Professor's a producer that just continues to bring heat. So... When the album drops, I might cheat, look at the credits, and jump to that one first. But you know what? I, I can't complain that you put them on the playlist. Okay. All right. Okay, cool. Um, all right. So you got anything else? No, nah, man. You know what? I will. I will. I'm just going to run one quick thing by you and end on a, on a critical note. You mentioned the Jay and Nas thing. Can I just run some quick numbers by you that I want your take on this? Yeah. So Royce, the 5'9", put this on Instagram. Um, don't shoot the messenger. But all right, Stillmatic, December 18, 2001. Jay puts out Unplugged, same day. Nas puts out Streets Disciple, November 30th, 2004. Jay and Lincoln Park, same day. Nas puts out Greatest Hits, November 6, 2007. Boom, American Gangster, same day. Nasir, as we all remember from 2018 and the surprise drop from Jay and Beyonce, Everything is Love. And then more recently, last year, July 19th, Lost Tapes 2, Whoops, you know, everything comes out. Beyonce and Jay, the Lion King joint. Um, is that curious to you at all? <laughs> oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a dirty game, man. Uh, <laughs> takeover, breaks over. Like, you know, like, uh, yeah, that's, that's beyond coincidence. That's insane. That's really, really And, insane. I mean, those, those yeah. dates are from Wikipedia, which shout out to Dart Adams. Wikipedia is not the end-all be-all for hip-hop, you know, when it comes to dates. But, um, yeah, it's just, like, people were laughing going into this, like, is Jay going to drop? And then, lo and behold, Monday or Tuesday of last week, 
even though it's a Pharrell song, like boom, it happened. So it's uh it's just interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting, man. Competitors, I guess, to the end. Uh, you know, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Like uh, I see Theo, he finally made his camera. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I got a couple things for you that I, I'll share with you offline. Uh, okay. But yeah, uh, for sure. Okay. For sure. Uh, I think that this is beyond coincidence. It makes it fun. They'll be talking about it 30 years from now in a documentary. Maybe you and I will work on it. Yeah. No, no. Okay, so what's your song of the week, man? That's a bet. My song of the week is Full Circle. Mm. It's the one I keep uh, I keep running running back. Um, I really dug that, dug that joint. The, you know, the not going back to Nas, it's King's Disease, the firm song. Um, but how about you? I'm going to go with the Texas classic, uh, DJ DMD, Fat Pat, and Little Kiki, 25 Lighters, which people may know from Crit and some other places, but uh, just played that this morning, and I was a few times through the week, I was like, yeah, that one, that one. So some uh, underground Texas music. Word. That's dope. That's dope. So didn't say it up top, but I'm Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. With me is Jake Payne, editor-in-chief. Together we are. What's the headline? Thank you all for listening. Word. Until next week, man.